We're teaching in Psalms, and we're in the 41st, and we want to teach the 41st is 13 verses, and the 42nd is 11 verses. I hope I can get both of these. That's a total of 24 verses of Scripture. And so we'll get into the first verse. This 41st Psalm has to do with the experiences of David, and they became the basis of prophecy concerning uh, the Messiah, concerning the Lord. In fact, the betrayal of Jesus is predicted in this Psalm. And we might title this psalm, this 41st psalm, God's Blessed Man. Uh, the first psalm we had God's Blessed Man described, remember, in the fir- very first psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, and, and nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, and etc. And then in the 32nd psalm we had God's Blessed Man forgiven. It says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And in this psalm, we have the fruit of God's blessed man. The fruit that comes to him from being blessed. So you have the first psalm and the 32nd psalm and this 41st psalm. And by the way, this 41st psalm ends the first division. It's written in a kind of a like the Pentateuch. It's the first division of the psalms altogether. And so we have God's blessed man in this psalm. And first of all, let's read verse 1. It says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Now, God's blessed man is considerate of the poor. The Bible says that Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Someone says, well, does that mean we're going to be wealthy in material things or money? Not necessarily. It means that we'll be made rich in the blessings of God. It means that all the, the blessings of Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection, His salvation, and, and His blessings to us as we become His children and His watch care over us, the richness of being a child of God. In fact, if you remember in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. So the very fact that we're called sons of God is an indication of some of these, some of that richness that the Apostle Paul tells us that we through his poverty might be made rich. He does more than give a donation to ease his conscience. You know, every once in a while you'll find someone, I've seen people come into church and say, Brother Joyce, I want to give a donation to the church. Well, not that we don't care about their donations, but they do it on a yearly, you know, once a year they give $50, $75, or maybe even 100 one time a year and think that, oh, now, I'm fixed for the whole year, you know. And we have people that consistently give their tithes, and two weeks' time they've given more than, than this guy that hands a $50 bill or a $100 bill and thinks he's satisfied his conscience for the whole year. Now then, I don't uh, question his motive. Maybe he wants to give for that, uh, for the right purpose, to, to help the church. But sometimes people give a donation even to charitable organizations because they know it's, you know, it's, it's commendable and it's right and you should help and give. And they do it for the wrong reasons. But, but uh, he does more than that. God's blessed man considers the poor in their needs. Let me read in the book of Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter. It says... Uh, in verse 7, if, thou be, if there be among you a poor man, one of thy brethren. Now notice it says one of thy brethren, by the way. 
within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from the, thy poor brother. You know, when I was studying this, I underlined thy poor brother. We have people that call us from every quarter wanting handouts and wanting us to just give to them and, and relieve them. I had a lady call me this morning. She says, this Riddles Baptist Church? And I said, yes. She says, uh, do you pay people's propane bills? I said, no, not really. You know, she said, well, thank you. Wham. You know? <laughs> you know, people want you to, you know, if it's not the propane bill, next week it might be the telephone bill. The next week, you know, something else. A car payment, maybe. You know, everyone's responsible for their own responsibility. The Bible says that if a brother be taken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, uh, lest thou also be tempted. And then it says, every man shall bear his own. It says, bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's bearing one another's burdens. And then it says, for every man shall bear his own burden. See, there's a, there's a limit to how much you can bear of the other person's burden. And then he must bear his own burden, too. So to share in it is, is right. But to completely take charge of everyone's needs, you cannot do that. After all, this person is responsible to take care of himself. You know, I could never feature myself. If I have to, it'll be a different story. But I, I could, And I've been pretty uh, much in need in times of my life, but I could never feature myself of going to some church and saying, I want you to do this for me or take care of me. Now, if I'm a member of that church and we share one another's burdens and things like that and there's necessity comes up, that's fine. That's what we should do. And that's what it says here. Uh, shall not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. So it tells you to share. And that's Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 and 8, by the way, if you wanted it. And uh, I thought I mentioned it, but maybe I didn't. Proverbs 14, verse 21. Listen to this verse. 14, verse 21 says this. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. It not only is good for those, but it's good for yourself to be generous and open-hearted about everything. Now back in our uh, psalm again quickly, 41 verse uh, 2. The Lord will, it, first of all, last part of verse 1 says, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Now look, and then it says, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Look at that. What is the, his reward for considering the poor? Preservation. The Lord, uh, look, in verse 3, The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of, on, on the bed of languishing, but thou will make all, his, uh, make all his bed in his sickness. These two verses show us a lot of things. What is it? Preservation in times of sickness. Blessed upon the earth, it says. Deliverance from his enemies. Strength in time of sickness. And a soft bed in sickness. Preservation in times of sickness. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That we all have sickness, but God will preserve us and see us through. And blessed upon the earth, Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Luke 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We used to pick up pecans. Louise and I picked up pecans the day we got married, by the way. Picked up pecans that morning and got married that afternoon. Got a hundred pound sack of pecans and you just keep shaking them down and get that thing plump all the way full. 
And Jesus said, if we give to others, he'll give us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He gives us a full measure of blessings when we give to others. There's another scripture that says, He that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. And it says, He guarantees that God will repay. God will always repay. And then we find deliverance from our enemies, and strength in time of sickness, and a soft bed in sickness. Paul speaks of being tender with those that are needing to be nursed. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7, he says, Even as a nurse, nurse cherisheth her children. Just like we mentioned Brittany a little bit ago. Little children, when they're sick, they need need kindness and sympathy and care. And you know, when they get that, they respond to it because they they really are just longing and aching for that kind of attention. And then in verse 4, his prayer for healing. Look at verse 4. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. In time of sickness, we become aware of our sinful nature. And notice he said, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Soul healing is more important sometimes than physical healing. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is soul healing. There's so many people need soul healing today and help in a spiritual way. Talk to Beverly today. Beverly Ford lost her son a while back. Bless her heart, she needs our prayers. She's just a real sweet lady and... She loved the church Sunday because she said everyone showed her a lot of love and consideration. And, and she asked the young lady that she brought to the church, says, how do you like, what do you think? She said, I love it. Well, you know, you people, the, the people that show love to those people that are in need, that's where they get uh, the whole picture. That's where they see where they belong and see how things work. So uh, just keep her in your prayer. She promised to come this Sunday. And I told her, I said, I'm not trying to take you away from your church or anything like that. Just trying to be helpful. And I says, whatever the Lord leads you to do, that's your business. Okay, verse 5 says, Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? In other words, his enemies wish he would hurry up and die. Well, that's a, that's a sad state of affairs. And by the way, his enemies pretend to be his friend. Look in verse 6. And if he come to see me... He speaketh vanity. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. In other words, when he comes to see me, he's your friend. When he's gone away, well, he tells it abroad, just what he thinks about. It's kind of like Job's friend, wasn't it? Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2, verse beginning with verse 11 through 13. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all of this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn for him, with him, and to comfort him. And look what they did. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads, time uh, symbolical of mourning, upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days, look, and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Can you imagine? You just had what Job had, had to happen to you. And I mean, his wife, he'd lost everything. His wife had turned against him. The devil was giving him a bad time. He'd lost his uh, possessions. He'd lost everything that he had. And he lost his family. And his wife had turned against him, and the devil was still after him. And his three friends 
sitting there and staring him in the face for seven days and seven nights and not speaking a word, I'd say, listen, just open your mouth and say, I'm sorry. Just open your mouth and say anything. They saw that his grief was great, but it's not too much of a comfort to him. And anyway, in the last part of the book of Job, it says in this 42nd chapter, verse 7, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. The Lord himself didn't like it. And he says, For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job had. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, and go to my servant Job, offer up yourselves for a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, your foolishness, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did according to the Lord, as the Lord commanded them. The Lord accepted, uh, also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he, had, when he prayed for his friends. It goes to show you that even though we have enemies, we still pray for them. And it says, the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Now look, when he prayed for his friends, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. But back in our psalm, notice what these uh, enemies of David said. You see in chapter 41, 41st Psalm, verse 6, it says, And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. All that... Uh, against me do they devise my hurt. No, these enemies predicted his death, and also they uh, devised his hurt. They looked for an excuse to condemn him. And in verse 8 is where they predict his death. It says, An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him, and now he... he now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. said, This disease, or this that's come upon him, this evil disease, is going to be the death of him. And then in verse 9, we find that his best friend turned out to be his worst enemy. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. It's a very important verse, isn't it? Mine own familiar friend. And as far as David, he says, in whom I trust. We'll find the record of that in Second Samuel, chapter 15, verse 31, and 16, verse 23. We find that one was a type of Judas that was David's friend, and he spoke against David. And yet we find in this verse, the ninth verse, that it's a prediction of Judas that, that betrayed Jesus. But you know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted. He just quoted the last part of this verse. He says, which did, uh, Jesus quoted that part which says, Which did eat of my bread and lift up his heel against me. Let me give you that in John chapter uh, 13. John 13 and it's verse 18. He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now look, what's he quote? He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Look at John 13, verse 18. Jesus didn't say, my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted, did he? You know why? He knew who Judas was. He wasn't a familiar friend. He, was, he says, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is the devil? Look in John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was uh, he, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus knew who he was, and yet he went right along. He was one of the twelve. He went right along with them. And so this psalm predicts the betrayal of Judas as Judas betrayed Jesus. 
And it also purposely leaves this out. When Jesus quotes this psalm that the scripture must be fulfilled, he leaves out in this ninth verse, you have Psalm 41, verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted. Because he never trusted Judas. He knew Judas from the beginning, and he never trusted him anywhere, any way, form, or fashion. But it was for the purpose of God that he was manifested. And then, in our psalm, look at verse 10. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. David prayed for the Lord to vindicate him. He says, raise me up, that I may requite them. By the way, uh, even though... Uh, Judas delivered Jesus, so to speak, to death by betraying him to the hands of the enemies and the chief priests and the, and the elders. And though he did die, he was raised up to vindicate that he was indeed the Son of God. Jesus was also vindicated by being raised up. And, and the psalmist says, But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may require them. David wanted to be raised up above the, the prediction of his enemies that predicted his death and wished he would die soon and said this disease is fatal and everything that's happening to David will certainly be the end of him. But God raised him up in spite of their predictions and in spite of the predictions of others that Jesus, you know, was dead and if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross and uh, that many would not believe in his resurrection. God raised him up in Acts 13. Let me read a verse of Scripture in the 13th of Acts. verse uh, Well, several verses. Beginning with verse 20. Uh, it says, And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. There's his death. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in, the sepul in a sepulchre. But God raised him up from the dead, raised him from the dead. And he was seen of many, uh, seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he had raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, begotten in resurrection power. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David, and so on and so on. We find that God vindicated Jesus by his resurrection. Now quickly, let's get into the 11th verse. You have uh, Acts 40, I mean, uh, Psalm 41, verse 11. It says, By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. David had the assurance of divine favor. He says, By this I know that thou favorest me. Have you ever come to the place that you know that God favors you? That's a wonderful feeling, that God favors you. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together. You can find God's favor. By this, by this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. God gave him divine assurance. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12 now. Look at verse 12. And as for me... Thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. You know what David felt here? Eternal blessedness. David's eternal blessedness was secure. He knew. He says, As for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face. How long? From now on forever. He says, 
not only here on this earth, but throughout eternity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, says Psalm 23, right? Uh, it's much like Job when he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after this, uh, this uh, worms destroy this body, he says, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Old Job, even though he had not the revelation that the New Testament gives, and even what David had, because Job was before David, actually. Uh, so we find that Job was way before David in the time. Job's setting is in the time of the book of Genesis, way back, even before the law. And they were still offering individual and personal sacrifices as the priest of the family in Abraham's day or before. And you see, uh, putting him in that period of time, yet he says, I know my Redeemer live, and that he shall stand the latter day upon the earth. Now look at the last verse, verse 13. Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting, amen and amen. Eternal praise belongs to the Lord. It says, amen and amen. It says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Now I want you to look at the 42nd Psalm, if you will, please. Psalm 42. And this is the homesick saint. Psalm 42. Look at verse 1. It says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. A thirst for divine fellowship with God. And this kind of a thirst for divine fellowship is a sign of true saintliness. This is what God's people really need is a thirst for God. Jesus said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. We preached a little bit on that uh, this Sunday, showing that the true born-again child of God hungers and thirsts after God. He doesn't want to go out here and thirst after the world, the flesh, and the devil. He has a deep feeling inside that he'd like to be closer to God. And he's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. If you'll notice, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. You know, it's one thing to be hungry, but it's another thing to be thirsty. You can live longer without food than you can without water. And when you need that water, you need the thirst to be quenched. And this is a soul thirst that we're talking about. He didn't say, I'm hungry for food, or I'm hungry for God, though it's good to hunger after righteousness. But he says, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The heart is the deer as he goes and pants after the water brooks, as he runs over the mountains and is uh, tired and thirsty and he wants to find a place to water. The heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Have you ever felt just real deep down in, inside that you would just like to be closer to God? If there's just some way, humanly speaking, that you can be closer to God, we try to to bring a spiritual uh, relationship to that and, and draw closer to God in a spiritual way in prayer and, and reading His Word. And uh, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against Thee. And, and even as this psalm says, we pant after God, we want to be closer to God. Well, it's a good feeling. The thirst for God was more than just a desire for outward ceremony. David had been to church. David had been with the congregation. David had gone through the the ceremony of worship and service, and that was good for them in that time. But he wanted a real connection with God. He wanted a deeper connection with God. If you notice in verse 2, it says, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? At this time, evidently, David had been, was unable to attend public worship, and yet he desires to. Look at this verse. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He wanted... He uh, to be close to God in a very special way. 
the Bible says that there are some that draw nigh to God with their mouth, but their heart is far from Him. They draw nigh to God in Jesus' day in ceremony and in ritual. There's a lot of people draw nigh to God, but they draw nigh in outward ways. We want to draw nigh in an inward fashion. We don't want just the outward show of it or the outward semblance of it. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 5 that there are some that have a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. We want God's uh, presence and His power and His Word and His and the uh, promises to be experimental in our lives. When we say that we uh, pray to, for God to answer prayer, we want to see prayers answered. And we want to know that God has done something for us. Experimental. That's what David was desiring. Paul said at one time, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Uh, so we need a deeper uh, closeness to God and experience with God. Verse 3 shows us something else. He says, My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? It was an earnest desire that that uh, David had. He says, My tears have been my meat day and night. When our tears are included in our desires, we can see that it's earnest desire. In Hebrews 5, verse 7, it speaks of Jesus having strong crying and tears as he pleaded to God who was able to save him from death. You know, And he says it was he was heard in that he feared. It doesn't mean that Jesus was saved from the cross, but it means that he was saved after having been crucified on the cross, and he brought him forth victorious from the grave. So with strong crying and tears, Jesus was heard in that he feared. The word feared means reverence God. Then we find uh, it, was a const- it was not only an earnest desire, but look at this verse. It was a constant desire. It was day and night. Some people are just uh, wanting to draw close to God on a moment, in a moment's time, and then sooner or later they forget about it and go on their merry way. Sometimes they pray, or we pray as if, well, God, you know, I prayed. Now, if you want to hear me, it's okay. If you don't, it's okay. That's not the way we need to pray. We need to be constantly and continually asking God to take care of us. So it was a constant desire. It was day and night. If you remember, Jacob was left alone, and he wrestled. A man until the breaking of the day. He wouldn't let hold go of that angel, would he? And until he blessed him. And finally he blessed him. He said, Jacob, <laughs> you're just determined. So I'm going to give you a blessing. And he did give him a blessing. And he was blessed from then on as well. In spite of the fact that Jacob uh, was a scoundrel himself. He was a conniver, a manipulator. He did every kind of thing in the world that's not really... Uh, of good character, and yet on the other hand, God overruled that and gave him a new name, called him Israel. He became the father of all the tribes of Israel, and God has blessed them in spite of it. God says in one place, I have not beheld iniquity uh, in Jacob, nor perverseness in Israel. How could God not do that? It was there, but God says, I have not beheld it. You know what? It was by grace. He saved them by grace. There was enough iniquity and perverseness to behold. Everyone else beheld it, but God says, I have not beheld. Because he is going to forgive him. It's blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. God sees it all in us. But he says, I haven't beheld it. I don't even see it. He sees all of our sins and shortcomings. He says, all I see is the righteousness of my blessed Son that I've imputed, counted to them. That's all I'm going to look at. And the rest of it's under the blood. It was so for Israel, too. He says, I have not beheld iniquity in Jacob, nor perverseness in Israel. And there was both of those things in one of the prophets. Now, let's go on with this quickly. Uh, So, we got down to verse... uh, Three again. Let's look at it again. There's something else. It says, uh, uh, 
while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? David's critics drove him to this earnest prayer. Sometimes the more you criticize, the closer you can draw near to God. Some people say, I just hate criticism. Well, sometimes it does us good. We draw near to God and say, God, now, if, there is, if, if all this they're saying about me is true, I want to get, get rid of it. I want it to be right. Sometimes that real severe criticism of it draws us near to God and we check up on ourselves. And they drove him to very earnest prayer. And he says, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? One of the worst slanders a person can do is say, you know, have you ever heard someone say, and you claim to be a Christian? Because you're not perfect? I don't like for them to say that. That's the, you know, that's one of the worst things you can say to a person that is trying to live a Christian life. So you claim to be a Christian in their time of weakness, when they need to be, be spiritually uplifted, and when they need to, maybe even deliverance from some transgression. Maybe they've, they've gotten themselves in a, in a, in a, pro, a trial or a problem. And then you come around with these words. So you claim to be a Christian? That's about the hardest thing. They were saying to David, so it says, they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Where is thy God? When you're in the midst of trial or trouble and sufferings and don't know what to do, and you're trying to work out this problem that you have, and people come along and say, where is thy God? Well, now, you know, if God was with you, you wouldn't be going through all this. That's pretty comforting, isn't it? It's not, not really so. Look at verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul. Look, what did I say? When he remembered these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I have gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. David found some comfort from by remembering his former blessings. He remembered that there was good times. He said, I, I went uh, to the house of God uh, with the voice of joy and praise. He had, he had times of good times. Sometimes it's good to remember the good times you've had. Fellowship with others of the same mind is a great privilege. He remembered when he had fellowship with those that went to the house of God, with joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. I'll tell you one thing, someday down the line when you become, maybe you become unable to attend church. There are many people that are. And when you do, you're going to have to live on those times that you did. You're going to have to recall. That's, that's going to be your only source of comfort. He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. And David found his comfort just there. Remember Psalm 122, verse 1, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Going to God's house brings a time of fellowship, of joy and praise and comfort and blessings that you don't get anywhere else. David was not one of those that wanted to worship all alone. By himself. Now, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that you cannot pray alone. It doesn't mean you cannot be joyful alone. But it does mean this, that you eventually need the fellowship of God's people and to encourage and strengthen one another by attending the house of God. God has so designed it that way. You, you may say, well, preacher, I'm here tonight and I'm listening to the word. And uh, yet, but what blessing am I to someone else? Just by the very fact that you're here, you're blessing someone else. You may not realize it. It may be in a kind of an unseen or, or uh, not a, a direct way, but in an indirect way, you're a blessing to someone else by being here, even tonight. Because someone will go away and say, was so-and-so there tonight? Or someone will ask you. You'll say, yeah, they were there. He was there. She was there. And in return, it's not only a blessing to those that are here, 
but it's a testimony to some uh, to someone that asked if you were present. You know, when I go home tonight, my wife will ask me, who was there? She'll say, who's, who's the church? And if I don't tell her every individual, I better. <laughs> I have to recall. I said, she'll, say, she'll start asking questions. We're, we're, you know, so-and-so. She'll call all the names. Was Linda and her mother there? Was Nichols there? Troy Nancy there? Sharon and Jerry there? And they go around down the line. Doris and Blue. And she'll call the whole roll of all. I better tell her who's there or I'll have to answer every one of them. And she wants to know because she cares about it, and it's a blessing for her to remember. And two, you're a testimony. If you're there, even though she was not able to be here, if you're here, you're a testimony to her. And when someone else, out in the public, maybe tomorrow, down the road, or Friday, or before Sunday, asks, was so-and-so at church Wednesday night? It means something to them. So it's a blessing. And David lived on these former blessings. And then in verse 5, I want you to notice this. When David uh, kind of put, uh, put all these facts concerning himself together and kind of considered all of them, he was disgusted with himself. Look in verse 5. He says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Look, he's asking himself why. <clears throat> why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Then he answers himself, Hope thou in God, for I, am, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. It's as if David's two different people. He says, Now, David, why are you cast down? Then he turns around and tells himself, hope in God. David, you're the, you're the one that's cast down, all right, but hope in God. So it's as if two voices of David are speaking. We consider our blessings in their true light. They outweigh our trials. Did you know that? Sometimes we say, our trials are great. Randy and I was talking today about certain problems that people go through. And sometimes, uh, when we consider our blessings in their true light, they outweigh all of our trials that we're going through. Someone may say, well, I'm having a financial trial, taking care of my children, taking care of my family, and, and I'm, you know, I have a real problem trying to send them to, to school and to college and whatever, and it's a real trial. Yes, but let me give you another option. Suppose you didn't have, which is the greatest blessing, to go through the trials or to not have them to go through with? Better to have them. Better to have them. And hope is the anchor of our soul. He says, hope thou in God. The Bible tells us we uh, have a, uh, which hope that we have before us is an anchor of our soul. In Hebrews 6, verse 19. I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David's faith was all gone, and yet he said, I shall yet praise him. It was not all gone, was it? it he seemed like he was at the bottom of the barrel and everything, and then he, then he says, what? He says, I will... Uh, I shall yet praise him. Uh, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. This was in the future. And then, the last part of this verse, for the help of his countenance. He knew that God gives sustaining grace. I'll yet praise him. When my soul is cast down and I'm disquieted in me, I'm still going to hope in God. I'll yet praise him. For the help of his countenance, I'll find that his grace is sufficient for my every need. It is not, isn't that what Paul said? When Paul asked for the thorn in the flesh to be taken from him, Paul said that God said to him, My grace is sufficient for thee. So God gave the same answer to Paul when he thought everything was going wrong. And then in verse 6, I want you to notice, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from... And of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar. David was honest before the Lord. He says, My soul is cast down. My soul is cast down within me. 
There's no use to pretend before the Lord. He knows if our soul is cast down. Someone says, why don't you smile and why don't you laugh? Maybe I don't feel like smiling and laughing. There are times you don't. And then that's when your soul is cast down. But we just well be honest with God. And reason told him that he did not need to be discouraged. Reason told him he didn't need to be that way. And yet he was. And then the memory of his former mercies helps, us, helps him to overcome his despair. We sing a song, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Remember in 1 Samuel 7, verse 12, it says, They raised up Ebenezer. We used to sing that song. And by the way, it used to be an amazing grace in some of the hymns. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. And it's in Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, isn't it? But we used to sing that, and now they got Here I Raise My Something Else. But it's good. I mean, it's not that bad chosen words, but we used to use that word Ebenezer. But I guess the reason they didn't use it, so many people hadn't studied their Bibles enough to know what Ebenezer meant. You ever thought about that? It's kind of like some of our modern versions. They say that they have to make it real plain. The reason they have to make it so plain is because many people don't know what it says in the first place. If you go back and study the Word, uh, the Holy Spirit will clear up a lot of the uh, things that you don't understand. And by the way, you can't improve on the King James Version of the Bible. If you've got one, stick with it. And if you're going to go buy one, buy that kind. And then you'll know when the preacher's reading the Scripture. Some of these preachers nowadays, when I hear them reading, I don't even know what they're reading out of. In verse 7, we have to hurry. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy ways and thy billows are gone over me. David thought he had gone through God's worst storms. But listen, Jesus went through the worst storms there were. And then in verse 8, notice this. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto God of my life. Assurance finally came to David, didn't it? It finally came to him. He says, Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night, in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. He finally came to the place that assurance was reached. And then in verse 9, quickly, it says, I will say unto God, my rock, now God's his rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of uh, the enemy? David still had unanswered questions. He, He says, I'm going to say to God, look, twice over in this ninth verse, he says, why, why? Why am I mourning? Why have you forgotten me? Why am I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then in verse 10, as with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily. First he said in verse 3, they say continually, where is thy God? And it says, while they say daily, where is thy God? They still have the same question. David, where is thy God? You with all these troubles. And the reproach of David's enemy was like a sword in his body. The Bible says, the wicked plotteth against the just. And it was like a sword in his body. Now I want to close with verse 11. It says, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? That's the same thing he asked up in verse 5. See? And he says, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. David goes over all of his problems again. He goes over the same problems and, re- and quotes the same thing and says the same thing. And he comes up with the same answer, to trust in God and hope in God. You can go over your problems a hundred times and you still come up with the same answer. What is it? Hope thou in God, 